Welcome to the Fred Tech Byte Podcast. I'm your host, Andres Mendoza, and with me is my co-host, Mark Walker. And thanks to Fitzy.org at Root for hosting us. Root is a one-stop public-private partnership to jumpstart new businesses and energize innovation in Frederick County. Dig deep. Cultivate tomorrow. Thanks, Mark. So today's podcast is going to be with Von Thurman and several of his companies. Uh, high Gear for One is his, his latest iteration. But, the whole um, story was in High Gear. The whole story was, yeah. So, um, you know, he goes into uh, his companies, various companies he's, yeah. he's gone into and how he's consolidated and the things that they do today. But the other part of the podcast, which I'm so excited for, is just him as an entrepreneur, the things that he's gone through you know, being down to the wire, even with this high gear transition oh, stuff. Absolutely. You know. And interwoven throughout the whole thing was his philosophical outlook. Right. He'd be like, if you're going to be brave, you also have to be humble at the same time right. to make that work. Right. And, and the, these are things that he's learned. He, he didn't go into the game yeah. with that knowledge. Yeah. He's learned throughout this experience. And he comes out of it with the notion that serving others actually helps yourself a lot more than you think it would. He goes into it saying that, you know, being humble is is not just a fancy word that you're just you know putting your, yourself out there you really are getting answers from other people you're empowering them to help you out right people do yeah. want to help people out yes, naturally yes. so you know this podcast is is awesome it goes through all those points there so if you're an uh, aspiring entrepreneur you know these are the things that you want to listen to there are so many good nuggets in this oh yeah absolutely so you know check it out it's it's an awesome one and um, i'm excited so check it out guys So welcome, Vaughn. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you I'm for so having glad, me. So glad to have you here. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's overdue. It is a, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> we missed you at the Tech Frederick one, but, yeah. you know, we were in good hands with Scott, Amy, and, you know, Nick. Yeah. It was almost like you were there at that episode, though, yeah. because all three of them mentioned you frequently. Okay. I, you know, yeah. I should do a count of how many times they mentioned you. I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that's not true. Well, it's funny. I ha- actually yeah. haven't had a chance to listen to it because of everything we've been going through mm-hmm. since it came out, as, as you probably caught with, uh, you know, with the sale of one of my companies mm-hmm. and us moving and everything else. But it's actually saved in my get to this list. So awesome. I'm, I'm hoping to listen to it soon. So now I have more bait, right? There's nothing better to get somebody baited to listen to something and say, hey, people were talking about you. So yeah, I mean, you have a, a wealth of, you know, knowledge and um, experience, you know, when it comes to entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. you know, different companies and whatnot. Let's talk about your latest venture, right? High Gear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, explain that quickly if you can. All right. Well, High Gear is a no-code workflow platform. And to expand that out a little bit, um, what we really do is we empower business analysts. Um, and I'll come back and unpack that in a little bit. But we empower business analysts to do really creative and cool things for the organizations they serve without having to go to the IT department for help. And we shorten the line at the IT department's door. Uh, it's usually not a negative for them because they have they still have the control over deployment they want they mm-hmm. have the control over security they have the control over integration but they have the ability to uh, shortcut the annoying requests from end users of could you make this button over here and could you make this form look a little different could you change the workflow one more time right uh, they, they can really hand that off to a business analyst who is embracing what the business is doing kind of has a high level of subject matter expertise uh, is closer to the business. And so really what we're doing is just kind of taking that whole you know, Deming philosophy of moving the ability to solve the problem closer to where the work is done down to the Gemba. 
um, and and empowering organizations who have creative semi-technical people to do that themselves. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, department heads who've bought the software. Uh, you know, it's a web-based subscription, but we can also install on site. We've got some pretty large banks and government agencies that run it, and they've got to have it in their own building. But, but we've got stories of people who've done the web subscription and taught themselves using videos over the weekend and put something into production on Tuesday, solved a problem that they've been waiting two years for, for people to get solved internally. Wow. Um, and uh, that's, that's kind of what High Gear does. So High Gear is a platform um, that really encompasses the ability for that creative thinker who wants to solve a workflow problem in an organization to do the discovery, you know, ask the users a question. So what's your business problem? Where's this stuff supposed to go? Uh, the design, mm -hmm. so visual tools for dragging and dropping out the forms, dragging and dropping out the workflow, how things should route around the organization and swim lanes and color coding sections. Um, the documentation and ultimately deployment. So we're really giving them that piece. And then managers, the ability to get kind of the visibility over what's been happening, right. um, both from a forward-looking perspective. You know, how, how heavily loaded are we for the next couple of weeks? How heavily loaded have we been for the last couple of weeks? What's our average turnaround time? How many of these have hit the SLA? How many haven't? Um, it, it just, you know, and, it, and it's funny because a lot of the companies that we help uh, will reveal to me quietly, and I won't say names, but uh, that they felt like they were driving for years without the ability to see any feedback from one of the most important parts of their P&L, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that payroll line, for anybody who's run any, a business of any size, that's what usually one of your biggest expense lines, especially in a lot of these knowledge worker businesses. You know, if you're doing civil engineering management, case management, uh, you know, anything that's got a complex processing moving through, mortgage, uh, you know, generation or whatever, your biggest, pay, your biggest line is going to be that payroll line, and people don't have any way to measure are we more effective than we were before? We've added eight people, right. you know, are we, and we had a hundred before. Are we eight percent more effective or not? Mm -hmm. And and so we give them that visibility. And so that's really just to, to nutshell it down. We put teams in high gear. We we allow their creative technical people. With your company. Yeah, yeah. We we allow their creative technical people to do this without having to slow down or wait for the IT department, and we allow the business people to have the view into what they're doing and uh, how they're doing with it. Uh, like they never have had before. That's our focus. Can we go back to some of the mm -hmm. basics here? And for yeah. those who don't know, could you walk us through the relationship between Swift Software, Swift Systems, Step Three, and High Gear? Yeah, it's a complicated story, isn't it? And we try to hide it from people. So I'll, I'll but I'll reveal it fully here, right, for the first time. Um, so, so Swift Systems was a company I started in the basement, um, much to my wife's uh, dissatisfaction, a little over twenty years ago. We had a generator outside the window in our tiny little eighth of an acre yard, and I was doing web hosting out of the basement. And I had a couple, I had still had a full time job, and I had a couple of friends who all of us uh, would put part time hours in, and we looked about like one engineer who could either get somebody's site back up if it went down or go on site and work on things. And we really were doing whatever anybody asked for. And I had this vision of uh, quitting my job, going full-time, and doing internet architectural services for companies that wanted to get on board with doing e-commerce. Mm -hmm. And so I saved up a lot of money. Uh, you know, the entrepreneur's dream. I'm ready for this. My wife is thinking you could spend that money on new cabinets and we could get a nicer car. And I'm thinking that's gonna, how I'm going to pay myself and I'm going to, you know, I don't need anything except the, the, the shot. Right. I jumped in uh, in 2001 just as the economy began to soften and uh, really began picking up some customers and projects about the time we got into September that year, my 
best customers on board were a good-sized manufacturing company about 50 miles from Frederick and Joseph Banks. I was beginning to do some consulting work for them. And, and everybody kind of tightened up and just said, "Get the, con- the first thing you do is cut the consultants out. Right. Get these, you know. So Swift Systems pivoted very quickly. Uh, we were still doing web hosting, but we l- learned that what people were willing to pay for is for guys to show up with a screwdriver and fix their IT stuff or a floppy disk when they still had those get my stuff working because we fired our IT guy because we're downsizing. We're trying to trim up to make it through this too. So there's that um, old line that if you want to be successful in business, you you find a need and you fill that need. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really it, right? And we realized that the need that I had planned, nobody wanted, but the need that people had, we were willing to do. And so we pivoted and Swift Systems became an IT services company. And it grew on and off for about... Uh, 15, 16 years, but it had actually a really nice run in the beginning for uh, almost seven years. It grew at 50% a year, just gangbusters, just growing like crazy. And uh, we, we kind of, uh, we kind of exceeded my entrepreneurial capacity. I, I don't know that I was really a well-trained manager. I was just an engineer. I just knew how to make stuff that would solve problems for people or, uh, you know, to work on technical things or train people to work on technical things. But the processes that we needed to have in place, a lot of them were lacking. Uh, the productization to really simplify the way people could buy things from us. So we kind of struggled and went sideways for a little while and then took off again. Um, 2012, we kind of pivoted. In 2015, it all started showing. And we had another couple of years of 35 to 50% growth. Um, at the same time, I had built Swift Software Frankly, we, we made this high gear product was originally called job track. Okay. The original name was something that, uh, an intern who's now my COO and I drew out an idea on a whiteboard. Um, it was something we'd been playing around with internally and we needed it for our own purposes. And we said, maybe other people could use this. So let's build it for internal purposes and let's see if anybody else ever needs it. And some of the best products come out that way, right? It's yeah. an internal need. Yeah. And then- we, we had, we had a real pain point of managing our work and making it real visible because, Again, we didn't have the processes. We didn't have the administrative people. I undervalued administrative uh, talent in the beginning and have learned to value that greatly. But uh, lo- long story short, uh, the software company didn't grow much for quite a long time mm-hmm. and kind of survived only because we could share office space and share resources with the other company that was growing. And then all of a sudden, it began to take off between 2006 and 2012. We were picking up customers like NASA and TransCanada and uh, you know, Fifth Third Bank and and the Royal Bank of Scotland and other uh, government agencies and large well-known organizations around the world and and uh, it was exciting. But we really were the little engine that could. We were we were like, how did this happen and what do we do with them? And you know, uh, but that company was growing and we got to the point that we realized we couldn't effectively run both. We didn't have the capital resources for them. Uh, we we didn't have the human resources management talent. And, uh, you know, and, and, and frankly, we, we had to make a decision. So uh, we decided that we were going to work on growing the systems business and getting it to the point that uh, we felt like it would be an attractive asset for somebody who was trying to grow a national MSP. Uh, we, we pivoted in 2012 to 2015 to make that a managed services provider. And just to short knuckle that, that means somebody paid us monthly instead of, uh, you know, each time something broke. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than my my systems are down, and the only way to solve it is to have a guy come in who's going to give me an offensive bill. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so we got a lot of people on kind of the insurance model. Just pay us this much a month, and if it goes down, it's our responsibility to get you up, no matter what it costs. Subscription to higher. Yeah, gear. yeah, and and that really that really uh, renaissanced that business, yeah. and it showed in the P and L. Um, mm-hmm. We we had a couple of really good years, and uh, new MSP out of New Jersey, um, who is on a a tear to grow nationally. Uh, they're acquiring one or two companies a month right now, and I think they're trying to get to four a month um, within uh, a year. That's a that's a clip. Um, but they came along, and you know, we 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 talked to a few folks. We were looking at different M and A options. You know, we were thinking we might hang on longer and try to grow it further, maybe even acquire somebody ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we had more resources to do that with because of the growth. But this came along as one of those offers you couldn't refuse. Um, they they made us a great offer and. Uh, you know, no no transition is perfect, um, but but all in all, I'm I'm confident it was the right thing to do because it allowed us uh, three things that were really important to us to be able to focus on the high gear uh, application. We had just rebranded it from job track to high gear, and um, and and really to sort of reset and and slow down. We felt like the managed services team that we built were best in class, and they deserved to have ownership that were focused on being best in class in that business. And uh, Josh Yeager, my COO, and I really, our hearts had turned. We had become impassioned about the software. We, we saw the kinds of problems we were solving for people, the relationships we were building with our clients. We have an annual user conference. And we've got folks who are coming in from around the world. And, and we just also felt like those clients deserved our total attention. Almost like that emotional investment really matters. It, it, it really does. And, 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 we, and we recognized that we were... Uh, we were robbing our software customers of our full focus by not giving them the attention they deserved when they subscribed to our product and the model. And we were robbing our employees on the managed services side by leading them in something that we had kind of lost our passion about. Right. And so that was a solution. But, but when we knew that possibility might come, the challenge we had is we had people invested in both companies. So, and so imagine if I've got a guy who's invested in one company and not the other – he would even be upset if he says, you guys put all your management time this year into building up a software company. And my systems company that I own part of with you has been flat. Yeah. Well, then we go the next year and we put all of our effort into the systems company and grow it. And the guy who only owns part of the software company says, hey, what are you guys doing over there? Right? I invest in your software. So we created step three to move all of the shareholders up so that no matter how we got the boat higher, they all benefited. Is there a story behind the name Step yes. 3? Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, it was kind of comical because we were really struggling for a name. And I said, let's look back at our story, right? We, we built an IT services business. That was Step 1, right? Then we spun a, co- a software company out of it. That was Step 2. Step 2, yeah. And now we, we see our next step in this journey is Step 3. Let's just call that the company, right? So so Step 3 really enabled us to bring in, uh, you know, the 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 advisors that we needed, we began to consolidate some costs. We took advantage of uh, economies of scale by putting the two companies together in a way we'd never been able to do before. But the challenge we got is, is even though we went through that process with the hopes that it would make it easier for us to run together successfully, we recognized the truth was that invo- emotional investment piece. Because our hearts were still in one piece of it, we couldn't really import talent to bring entrepreneurial passion to the other business. Mm-hmm. That that has to already be there. And we felt like we had leaders who were capable um, of, of really stepping up and taking on that role, but they couldn't do it with us in the way. And, and so that was, it just became a natural change 
that the next step was for us to look at uh, partitioning that business off and selling it. So, so step three will remain a transparent company where our shareholders live, mm-hmm. employees get their paychecks from it. Uh, Swift Software Inc. is now a DBA for High Gear Inc. High Gear Inc. is the company we're going to market with. We really, we learned, I've talked about productization before, we were complicated. Um, people had to try to figure out, so I'm buying JobTrack from Swift Software that's owned by Step 3, but you also have a data center right. that's Swift Systems, and that's who I'm getting the SSAE team from. And we just, you know what, we need our High Gear customers to know it. we're High Gear, our product is High Gear, mm-hmm. and we're going to put your team in High Gear. We really wanted to simplify the message and simplify the platform and, and uh, the positioning. Um, so that's it. That's the background. So you consolidated both your organization and your messaging all in one swoop. Yes. Yeah. And, and we got you know we got that done in August, um, but a little bit of entrepreneurial fun. We got a notification from uh, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office that they didn't like. Uh, they weren't going to approve the, the high gear trademark. So we went into a full-blown panic Wow! because we were, um, I guess, two weeks away from our user conference. It was down in Nashville this year. And we realized we're going to come down to our user conference ready to unveil the new name and logo and brand and tell them all this great stuff about also a release we've been working on under the hood for a year to go along with it. And we realized we were going to have to tell them, like, we think this might be our new name, but we're not sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it, was, it, was, it felt dysfunctional. We were terrified. Uh, again, great relationships with our clients. Most of them had really good humor about it. They even poked some fun at us. We had a contest where people had to draw uh, pictures in our workflow engine. Uh-huh. And one of them used the lines to draw out high gear with a question mark where the TM or copyright <laughs> symbol would normally be. So they, they were having fun with us. Um, but we were able to strike up uh, a, a great deal. I'm very thankful for um, a, a company out in the Midwest who turned out to own a similar mark, but it was, they were really focused on the automotive dealer space. And, and we made a, a, a deal with them. It was very quick and not too costly. They were very fair with us um, to carve out some things. So we're, we're never going to sell software to <coughs> Uh, the automotive dealers, right? That's right. just we said, hey, look, we're not going after that since that is your market, and and we put something on paper. We took it back to the patent and trademark office, and they said, fine, if you guys are good with this, we're good with this, and we'll approve it. So we went forward. So, a little bit of crisis. We we kind of launched a new brand and the new site in October, a few weeks after the user conference, where, where you know we got the question mark replaced with the TM, and soon the registration symbol. Um, That's an edge of your seat movie, right? There. <laughs> it, it really, it really is. And, and I have to tell you, it got down to the point. Um, you know, I'm a praying man, but I was, I was praying hard that day. We, I, I had been trying to get a hold of the CEO that owned this company or that ran this company that had the trademark uh, that, that we were clashing with, and there is nothing compelling them to agree to let us have a, a piece of the space, right? I could not get this guy to respond. I couldn't figure out how to, how to come up with any way to get around the, the many gates that he had up. It's a really big company. It had been through three layers. The folks who'd originally registered the offending trademark had been acquired three times oh, up wow. to now a publicly traded company. And uh, I, I was like literally praying, God, give me an idea here. And I had it. I was like, everybody cares about something, mm-hmm. right? And they'll give their personal contact info out where they care about something. So I managed to track down a uh, PowerPoint that this guy had done at a nonprofit that he's associated with. And on the last slide, he included his email address if anybody had any questions. And as soon as I hit him on the personal email address, he was like, I got to get rid of this guy. So he called me. <laughs> <laughs> and I managed to get just enough of his time and attention that he dropped me down to a general manager who worked for him 
who was so gracious, she called and said, I used to own a software company. The same thing happened to us. She said, we're going to get this taken care of for you and fast. Oh, oh real that's empathy there. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, was yeah. Amazing. That, that's a, that was a godsend. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it was. And it was an edge of the seat ride. It was very stressful, especially with, uh, frankly, we were also in the middle of due diligence by this point with the other company. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we were on our way down to the user conference. I mean... Everything had a question mark around it. It wasn't just high gear. It was like, what, what, where is our office going to be? Which companies are we going to be running? Right. It was where does really the unraveling start? <laughs> That's, right. <laughs> That's right. But but you know the amazing thing is, by the time the year ended, we had had a uh, you know a, a terrific exit uh, with Swift Systems, and I think we've launched them uh, for a great start. N- New MSP is very serious about uh, growing a national footprint. And growing through acquisitions. So if any of my old competitors are listening, uh, they should know that they should probably call and be friendly with these guys because they would probably uh, look for more in the area. They try to really dominate an area if they come in. Uh, but I also think that we've really set High Gear up for great success. We're, we've just announced six new positions we're opening up, and we think we may do that two or three times uh, more this year, mm-hmm. um, we are are looking to to you know really grow the team by another sixty to eighty percent. Uh, just in the short term, but but we're going to slow that down as much as necessary to preserve our culture because what's made this company so successful, the technology is great, mm-hmm. right? but it's the relationships we have with our customers. And I don't mean that we you know, hang out and have picnics with them. I mean, they know that when something's wrong and they call us, uh, that, that we have good, high-quality people who will stick to something until it's done. Right. Um, Get the job done. Make sure they're never going to embarrass them in a conference call, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when some senior business leader is like, "I want to hear this for myself," they're not going to have somebody's going to get on and going to talk weird, right. uh, talk tech. You know, that we speak respectfully, we speak business language, we we interact with people like like we're their servants, and and they can tell that they said, "You guys have great technology, but it's your humility uh, in the way you approach us that we really feel like you're here to make a difference for us." Um, like we're, I've, I've had. Several customers uh, give us as a reference to somebody saying they've treated us like we're the only customer uh, we have or they have, right? And I, you know, I, I think that's kind of the experience we want to have. So we're, we're excited about growth. Uh, we, we feel like we've got the resources and the focus now to be able to do it. And so I, I, I think 2019 is going to unlock some big things for us and, and help us get the high gear vision, uh, you know, 2020 within the next year. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Get high gear into high gear. Right? There we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if anyone want, want was interested in any career opportunities there, where would they go? Just um, highgear.com? Yeah, highgear.com. Right now there's a careers page up that really gives a little bit about uh, what we care about and what the culture of our company is and uh, has links from there off to the individual jobs that we've got open at any uh, given time. We've got uh, developer positions right now, uh, mm-hmm. you know, marketing positions, administrative positions, and uh, that's it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've alluded to a wealth of different things, right? Like you know, yes. down to the wire things, and I'm sure, like <laughs> yeah. as an entrepreneur, yeah, you there, yeah. you've been through that for several years in many yeah. different aspects, yeah. right? But um, you know, you've also alluded to the fact that you know your your team and your company. And how they treat your customers and clients and things like that. It, it's it's kind of like that's what this community is all about, right? Mm-hmm. It's just you're treating each other with respect. I don't mm-hmm. have if you're calling me about an issue, I'm not just going to talk lingo that I know you're not going to understand. I'm going to try to break it down for you and say this is what what the issue is, and let's try to solve a problem here mm-hmm. together. So, talk to me a little bit more about 
some of the other like down to the wire stuff that you've gone through, I guess, oh, as an entrepreneur. And I, I know there are many. No, there, right? there are. There really are. Um, you know, and it's funny because I've had the opportunity to think about this a little bit uh, recently. I, I did a uh, presentation with the Tech Frederick Group uh, called Lessons from the Edge. And I had somebody drag me over to uh, one of the Rotary Clubs, which I thought was going to be 15 people. And there were like 200 people there. Wow. So that's, you know, but uh, so I was impressed. I've never seen a Rotary Club that big, and I was also a little frightened when I walked into the room. And I was, oh wow, I'm talking in front of a lot of people. But, but, but you know, here, here's the reality: the uh, the downturn in the market came at a particularly difficult time for us because we had already taken a gut punch the year before mm-hmm. uh, in in 2006, and I think this was really the crucible for me. I'd been an engineer who'd grown a business by being able to make things that people liked technically. And I had good manners. I could talk to people and I could Mm -hmm. sell intuitively. But I hadn't really built a business and I really didn't understand a lot of key words, one of them being concentration. I don't mean the ability to stay up late at night and read a book and remember it all. I mean that I had too many eggs in one basket. Um, One customer I'd allowed to grow to where they had become 60% of our revenue uh, no, 40% of our revenue and the other was 20%. And both of them, uh, true story, got acquired within 30 days of each other in 2006. And both said, we're not going to need you. One said, we're not going to need you today. One said, we're not going to need you within 90 days. That's 60% of your revenue right there. Right. And we had just expanded. We had just moved to an office that was double the size. I had hired more people. I doubled the size of my sales team. I mean, everything, you know, everything collided at once. Uh, this was the end of one of those long 50% a year growth spurts that had gone on for five years, and my confidence was through the roof. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw a picture one day on the wall that really made me laugh. It was uh, a picture of a you know it's beautiful mountain shot, and the skier is just coming off of this snow-covered <laughs> cliff, and he's in here. I mean, it's like it's a perfect shot. The, the snow dust is coming off behind him. And, and, and if you just looked at the picture, you'd be impressed. The text under it made me laugh so hard. It said confidence, really big. And under it in small print, it said the feeling you have right before you realize you screwed up big time. Oh, right? <laughs> so then, you, then you look at the picture again and go, oh, yeah, he's, he's way up in the air. There's no, there's no, I don't know where he's going to land. I, I, I think 2006 was one of those years where I realized my confidence had undermined me and my circumstances had sabotaged me. And, uh, you know, I, I did some of my best work in one sense in that we recovered all of that revenue by the end of the year. We mm-hmm. ended the year with the same number we'd had the year prior. But to do it, uh, I had invested in marketing. I had invested in trying to bring on new customers as quickly as I could and people to serve them. I had depleted all of my resources. Um, the company's net worth was gone. My personal net worth was gone. And on top of that, as if I need to add more stuff... The beginning of that year, I was trying to raise money for the software company. I was pretty convinced we were beginning to bring enterprise customers on. We had a big play here. And I had a friend who helped me organize a group of real estate investors who said, we'd like to diversify and put Mm -hmm. a little money into something else. So get us all in a room and explain what you're doing and we'll probably help you. We'll give you a million, maybe three million and, and off we go. Well, by the end of 2006, those guys in the real estate sector knew what most of us found out in 2007. Right. The real estate was crashing. Uh, One of these guys particularly had uh, been in the guaranteed sale business and how he owned a bunch of homes around a golf course with the money that he had hoped to invest in in my company. And so the software company, we'd been running at a loss and we were okay with it because we knew we had a big check coming at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. We got shocked during that year on the systems company, which was growing and profitable. 
And uh, by the end of the year, like I said, we were basically in the shape where the, our bank was scared. Uh, we were scared. Our landlord was scared. Some of our customers were starting to get nervous. And I'd never been through anything like this before. And uh, it took, uh, you know, the, the bank called their notes on us in 2007. Uh, the day that they got the bad news that they were exposed to the, uh, you know, credit default swap instruments. Yep. Uh, that same day, they wrote my letter, which I didn't get for a couple more days, saying, you know, you've never missed a payment, but uh, we want all our money in 30 days. We're coming for your house. And the only reason I think that they weren't able to get the house is that the IRS showed up in line behind them and said, you've been running a quarter or two behind on payroll taxes, which, hey, I was, I'd been paying an interest in penalties. To me, it was another capital source to get through this crunch. I didn't know that it was actually against the law. I, I really just didn't. And neither did my finance guy. We were clueless. Uh, they came in that day and said, you know, they were nervous too, right? They were seeing companies in trouble who'd been running behind. They're like, we got to get them straightened up. Right. And so they came in and said, we may bar your doors. We may take you off to jail. Um, I remember that following weekend uh, was my son's, I want to say seventh birthday. And I was doing everything I could to be dad and not let my family know what was going on. My mother-in-law was following me around. I tell the story sometimes saying, I can tell something's wrong with you. You got to talk to somebody. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, what kind of a loser am I? I'm going to start telling my troubles to my mother-in-law, right? But she chased me out in the garage. She's a tough lady. And she's like, just tell me what's going on. I said, you don't want to hear it. Believe me. And uh, she said, you you know, I, I do. And you'll feel better. And I thought that's ridiculous. But I dumped it on her and said, you know, we might we might all be living in your basement in, in a few months if I don't get things turned around. And worse than that, I might not be where they're with them because the IRS is after me now, too. And, you know, and, and it was funny. All of a sudden, she got quiet and stopped talking, and she looked sick. And I actually did feel better. It was she was right. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it had the desired effect on her, though, right? She was picturing all my six kids or five at that time living in her basement. And uh, so, so I tell that story openly, not because I'm you know proud of getting there, but but because I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through really difficult scenarios like this, and it's really difficult to have the courage to talk to somebody about survival. What do you do in survival mentality uh, in, in those moments? And I actually say there is there is nothing wrong with surviving. Um, there is no great success that shows up without survival happening before it. Mm-hmm. If, if you if you you know nobody would root for the original Rocky movie if it didn't look like he was about to die. Right. Right. Or when the Russian guy has killed his buddy in Rocky Four, right? It's, it's, you know, and when you see it looks like he's losing the fight again, you begin to root for the underdog. Well, uh, you know, I, except a lot of us want to hide that. And I think there is no great success. I, I, th- there are people who just come out of college and they make a great success. And I admire them. I, I'm not negative on that. But I think most great successes come with somebody having to go through some personal or business trauma right. to really refine who they are. And it's the crucible. And, and I think the quicker an entrepreneur learns that it's okay to talk to people about this, about where you really are, the quicker they're likely to get help. And I'm a real advocate for that. And it's part of the reason that I share this stuff. Life on the Edge was hard on me. I gained a lot of weight. Uh, I was a skinny kid all the time. And, and by the time I came out of it, man, I was, I was really struggling with my weight. It's because I worked night and day to get through it. I didn't know how to keep myself balanced. And I wasn't talking to people who could challenge me uh, because that would require me to tell them the truth about how bad it really was. I, I, so the thing I did right, I buckled down and worked as hard as I needed to to get through it. Mm-hmm. The thing I did wrong is I didn't ask for help, which meant that I worked a lot harder than I needed to to get through it, right? What I began to learn when things turned around is that, uh, you know, Winston Churchill's famous line, um, when you're going the wrong way, the most progressive one is the first one to admit it and turn around, kind of repent, right? you know. 
I was doing a lot of things wrong, and I, I learned them the hard way by doing them over and over and over until I finally said there is no way to perfect this. No matter how many times I've tried it with adjustments, it doesn't work. I've got to do something there different. There's no escape from this do loop. It, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer the only way out is through. But but the fastest way through is to holler out for help and say, can anybody hear me, right? How do I get out of here? Where You know, yell out my name and I'll, I'll, I'll walk towards you. When I began to get broken enough that I started talking to other business owners and saying, so here's the issue, man. I'm, you know, the, the bank has got me in a forbearance agreement. I'm giving them all the money I can every month. And I can't figure out how to get anybody else to help me out with this situation. You know, in a backhanded way, that was your escape velocity. It, it, right. And, and, and so, yes. And, and so when, uh, when I asked those kinds of questions, uh, I had people give me the unexpected advice. Like, have you ever heard of the secondary financial market? Right. Well, you, you mean like, you know, uh, factoring your invoices, right? That's terrible. It's not going to work for us. No. You know, and they really began to open my doors up. When I said, hey, man, I, you know, I've got employees hearing we're having difficulties and they can't tell what the details are, but they get nervous. And I can tell. Then they start working on their resume and I get turnover. Mm-hmm. They say, have you ever thought about having a meeting every month and just telling them how bad it is so that they can worry about what they can help you fix instead of worrying about what they're imagining might be wrong? Um, these were these were transformative things, and we went from being a closed management team that was trying to hide how bad it was from customers and vendors and employees to being an open management team. And I had customers that I shared really the difficulties we were going through with, and they said, "Yeah, we've been going through the same stuff. Really appreciate your transparency. You worried you're going to go out of business?" I said, "Hell no, I'm never going out of business. Right? That's that's not our exit here. I just want you to understand." That if we're asking you for a big deposit on a job, it's not because we don't trust you. It's because we're juggling real hard and we want to be able to get your stuff in and not have you get caught up in our delays. It, it built trust. It built relationships with mm-hmm. people. When we started having what's pretty radical, a monthly meeting where we showed our financials to our, our employees, uh, all of it, all the ugly stuff. And, and, they would say, and half of them didn't understand much of what they were looking at. But again, we said, if there's anything else to be afraid of, we would have told you in this meeting. Yeah. The only thing to be afraid of is that we're not making enough cash here. So you guys got to help us. Help us figure out what we can be doing better for our customers. How can we drive down the cost when we're getting equipment for people? Uh, you know, how can we drive up revenues with things we're not doing for people now that we should be? And, and it really empowered our team to feel like they could see the problems we were having and they could make a difference in getting us out of them. And I'd I'd imagine, like, as someone who doesn't want other people to feel like the world is ending or whatnot, you you try to shield them from that. That's right. But in doing that, you're not getting the answers that you need, right? And and opening up to them not only show that, hey, this is, you know, I'm I'm being vulnerable here, but you're showing, like, I'm being as transparent as possible – and you're not, it's not, it's, it's so hard because I'd imagine, you know, it's, it's like, don't worry about being embarrassed. That's right. Because it, it, it yeah. that thing goes away pretty quickly. What you need to worry about is how to solve the problem. And a lot of Bingo. people want to help you solve that Bingo. problem. Bingo. And, and, you know, I think one of the problems, and I, uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are more studied or maybe have different natures than I do and don't have to go through that same difficulty. But, uh, but, you know, how to win friends and influence people, um, Carnegie spent a lot of time talking about how people want to be needed, mm-hmm. right? And how you can endear people by asking them for a favor. And when I was trying to hide problems and figure out how to get them fixed myself, staying up late at night, my employees could tell there were problems and they had no idea how to contribute. Right. When I came to them with a problem and said, I really, if I had a solution, I would have gotten it done two years ago. 
do you guys have any ideas that we can, you know, how we can get out of this? It made them needed and it inspired deeper relationships. It's not always perfect. Some people will still run for the hills when you're telling the truth, sure, right? Right. Because yeah. they want you to tell them everything's rosy, you know? <laughs> um, but those are not the people that are going to help you get through difficult times anyway, right? So mm-hmm. all you're doing is, is um, I guess, accelerating what was probably coming at some un- unfortunate time anyway. Right. But uh, when you tell your customers you need them, some of them are going to treat you bad over that and go, oh, I know you need me. I'm going to needle you for a better price. Other ones are going to say, well, you know what? That's great because I need you too. And now I don't feel like you're the IT guy who doesn't respect me. Right. Um, and, and so I think, you know, going through all of that, it, it changed a few things. It, it really brought home for me, I'm leaning on Jim Collins here. Jim Collins in uh, Good to Great and Great by Choice uh, really gives some great examples. He talks about the story of uh, uh, Roald Amundsen, who was the guy who successfully got to the South Pole and contrasts him to the guy who said, we're going to get there fast. It's almost mm-hmm. like the tortoise and the hare. He showed up and said, we're going to travel light, and we're going to beat those guys, and we're going to get there, and we're going to win. And Roald Amundsen said, even if we don't win, we're going to get there. Right. We're going to bring three times the supplies we need. We're going to bring extra tents. And, and, and the contrast between those two is these guys, most of them died. The fast guys, the tortoise, they died in their tents with their feet freezing off, literally, right? Uh, very few of them made it out, if any, and I don't remember the details whether they got they found their diaries afterwards or the few guys who survived brought their diaries out. And Roald Amundsen's team got stuck in their tents, extra tents, eating their extra supplies for days. And then even when the weather got better, they only went 20 miles and stopped so their guys wouldn't get exhausted. So they had the energy, health, mm-hmm. and strength to survive the next storm and hunker down. Um, I used to be that guy because I, I was lucky and it worked for a while who just went for the growth. Go for the gusto, right? And what I've learned is you, you can accomplish great growth, but if you're growing without a plan, oh gosh, the great quote from a local guy here, Paul Foss, he says, uh, a vision without a plan is just a daydream, right? And, uh-huh. and, and you can't run a business on a daydream. You, you have to lay out what are we going to do and what's our contingencies and how much resource do we need to have a really good chance at succeeding at this. And, uh, and I, you know, like I said, I, I, don't, I don't think getting close to failure is anything that any person who starts a business should be embarrassed about. Um, I actually think it's part of the training that you're unlikely to get in an MBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that real world school of hard knocks, right? So own it, open up about it, and ask people for help because bankers are much more likely to think you're going to get out of this if you're asking for help and advice then if you're going, I got this. Don't look at my financials yet. Give me another quarter. They're like, right. man, buddy, you are like submarine in this thing, right? <laughs> if your nose were pointing up, I'd feel a whole lot better about it. Uh, so I, that's just the, the whole thing. I like I said, I've gotten out of this. You know, going living on the edge, getting close to the edge here. Um, be humble. Be transparent. Be committed. Right? People can tell those things, and uh, and and you know, fear not, man, because it's it's just. Uh, if it kills you, that's unlikely. I don't, I don't know. A lot of people don't die from financial difficulties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the very worst thing that could happen and you can rule it out as pretty darn unlikely as long as you don't live in an unhealthy way, then you come down to what really could happen. I could fail. It could be spectacular. I could have to file bankruptcy. And, and if you can look right down the barrel of that shotgun and say, if that's the worst thing that could happen with me and I could live with it, because seven years later, my credit will be okay. And... Probably, you know, when I get out of this whole thing, somebody will hire me because they'll say, you, you ran through a pretty tough exercise here and you didn't give up. And I'd love to have somebody on my team who I know won't give up when times get tough. Right. To tag off all that, yeah. I'd like to go back to the picture of the skier going off the cliff. Mm-hmm. And how can entrepreneurs discern between being brave and being stupid? Mm. 
uh, they feel really similar un until you've got that feeling that you just screwed up big time, right? Um, I, I think it really comes down to the, the plan and, and vetting it out with people who've been there. Um, I, I wasn't a big believer earlier on, early on in my career about uh, peering and networking. I am a, a huge fan of it. Um, if, if people don't have a circle of accountability in whatever they're endeavoring for in life, then, then they're in trouble. People who know, and, and, and they don't have to know your business, but people who know you well enough to call bull mm -hmm. are important to have around you. Because They're comfortable enough with you. To exactly. Be you have the relationship, candidly. right? Yeah. You you have to have relationships with people in business, preferably if you're getting into business. And, and you have to invest the time necessary to where you feel comfortable calling bull on them and they feel comfortable calling bull on you. And you've got to present these really big, crazy ideas in front of them in a way where they get to beat it up. You, you've got to have that same kind of relationship with your team. If you have if you're if you know, if you're fortunate enough to have a team of good people, but then you're not wanting to present your new plan to them until it's all done. You know, is it, is it a strategy session or is it an announcement? An announce, a corporate announcement is doomed for failure. A strategy session has a higher probability for success. Um, if you're bringing your team in and say, hey, guys, we've been working on a plan. Here's, here's the plan. Here's all the stuff we've worked out. Here's how we've vetted it. Here's who we've talked to. Here's where we think it's going to go. Here's the worst case scenario. Here's the best case scenario. Here's where we hope to end up in the middle. What do you think? That's very different than grab your oar and get in the boat. Because if they're all sitting back going, man, we don't have enough supplies if there's a storm. If we hit the South Pole and things don't go right, we're going to die. Well, well, some of them aren't going to come because they know it's a bad plan. Some of them aren't going to tell you. You know, that, That's really the difference. I think a strategy is one, uh, there's a proverb, right, that um, many a wise man seeks yeah. a counsel of yeah. many, right? And uh, or the man with many advisors uh, increases his chance of success, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's two of those, and I think you know that's really the thing. Um, you can have a great idea, but if you if you want it if you want it to really be an idea with a high probability of success, it needs to have people beat up on it. It needs to have people ask you tough questions. Who are, who are qualified in some way to ask those questions. So, right, and questions the, that you may not even think about, right? Yeah. Because you, you have your own biases. That's the point. It's the data you yeah. don't have that yeah. tells you. The views so, that you don't even have yeah. either. So. And to take it back to your skiing analogy, right, that's the example. If I'm getting ready to ski down this hill and it looks amazing and I can see the jump down there and it looks like the ground is pretty close behind it, but I've never done that before, I may not know that that ground that looks close is actually, in fact, another few thousand feet down. Right? But it's an optical illusion up there. But if I talk to somebody else who knows that area well or knows me well and knows my propensity to do something without testing it, they may challenge me and say, have you gone over to the edge of that cliff and done a string line and figured out how far down that is? Yeah. Good question, right? Or somebody who knows the area well, the expert, the, the subject matter expert of the area I'm heading into will say, wait a minute, where are you talking about? Right out there near that row of pine trees? No, 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 buddy, you don't want to go off of that cliff. And I think that, that's really the difference between bravery. You need bravery. Courage is a necessary element right. to entrepreneurship. So, so there's not a bad thing about being brave. There's a bad thing about not checking that bravery in with some subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I said that right, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> and the message got from Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, as an entrepreneur, what would you say would, would be like a top trait that has helped you succeed? You know, maybe top mm. one or two traits. Well, one, one that certainly helped me fail, uh, and I've had to change it, and it's now helped me succeed, is humility. I lacked it. Uh, I, I really believed I was the smartest guy in the room, and uh, just wait until they found out. 
I've now discovered that I'm usually the dumbest guy in the room and it's only the experience I've had that's, that's, you know, I've got some raw intelligence, thank God, but I cannot walk into a room thinking that I don't have something to learn from everybody I interact with every time I'm having a conversation because otherwise I'm going to miss something. And that's, that's really number one. The other trait that has helped me succeed is one I didn't come to the game with either. And uh, that is uh, really being able to inspire others to fill in the gaps that I have. So I guess it, it's tied to the humility. I have to be comfortable with the fact that I have lots of gaps so that I can openly expose them to people. But that creates opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I've heard um, uh, John Maxwell say, that, you know, leaders create room behind them. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not by saying I'm so awesome. I've done everything successfully that I've left these opportunities for you. You know, no, it's, it's that they're saying I'm pushing forward by continuing to tighten in on the things that I am good at and making more room for people to fill in the areas that I'm not good at. And I think that's, you know, really being able to engage others has been the second one. It's good. Yeah. I mean, it and goes ties back to one of those things that we were talking about before, just admitting the things that you lack in, right? Yeah. And as a leader, I imagine that that's hard because everyone's looking to you for all the answers. They're saying that you're you're the one at the helm of this ship here. And you, everyone assumes that you know everything. But and it's it like, takes I a, don't. a degree of bravery to do that. To do that, yeah. yeah. Well, Jim, Jim Collins, it's funny, he talks about that too. Uh, again, in one of those two books, Good to Great or Great by Choice, I forget which one, but... Uh, I think it was good to greet the, the, the genius with a thousand helpers model, right? That if you try to answer everybody's question, even if you're capable, you'll get into one of those models like Apple was in. Steve Jobs was incredible amounts of energy and just seemed to know what to do. And he drove the company forward. And when he decided he wanted to go off and work on filmmaking, the company just crashed because he hadn't built a lot of leaders around him. And there are companies where somebody has a different approach where people come to him and say, we've got this crisis. And the leader's job, and, and it's tough, especially if you feel like you know the answer, is to stop and say, so what do you think we should do about it? Mm-hmm. Right? Let, let that leader test their own thinking because they might have the right idea and you can say, it's great. Now, why do you think that? You know, help them bolster it up and feel confident. Great, you've even thought that through it. Or you can say, you know, you got to the right answer, but for the wrong reasons. Let me tell you about some other things to consider. And as you mentor that person, it gets to the point where you can actually take a vacation. Um, Or you can go over and work on the movie business for a while and your company will keep growing because you've trained all those people how to lead. Right. Um, Or at least taught them how you made decisions that seem to be working out even if they were by luck. You've even taught them by modeling. But if you just give them the answer... You fall into that trap of being the the genius with a thousand helpers, and 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 we all, our human nature, we love to have a line of people waiting to ask us questions, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it must be important. <laughs> Until you're tired of it, and you can't get that line to stop, and you feel like the organization is going to blow up. Um, I don't even remember what the question was. How do we get into this? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just I was. Or if there was even a question, right? It was, I'm, I'm, it was I'm just rambling. a follow up thing. Yeah. So what would you say now on the flip side, right? So we've talked about two traits that you felt like you didn't you didn't come to the uh, game originally with these traits, right? You mm-hmm. learned them, and yeah. it's through all this experience. Now, what are two bad habits you think you've either acquired, like, or you first had, and you're like, I got to drop yeah. this. This well, is not working at all. I just talked about one of them. It was uh, you know the, being the do everything boss. Uh, I got a finance guy who jokes about the fact that, you know, when he started, I think we were already at um, 23 or 24 people. I set his PC up. I got his phone system turned on and then I vacuumed the floor around his uh, desk because I felt like it didn't look right for a new employee. But he was already there, right? Mm -hmm. And he was feeling weird, like, 
shouldn't you be running the company? Why are you in here doing all this stuff for me? <laughs> I was one of those classic entrepreneurs that I could do everything better than everybody, including order pizza. And, you know, I just micromanage and get involved in everything. Um, I've really learned you have to be a quitter and a professional quitter, right? And, and uh, you know, I've said multiple times, it's not just quitting the things that you think somebody else could do better. Because, you know, again, part of leadership, you got to learn where your gaps are and let people fill in. But you have to even learn to quit the things that you could do better than them. Because if you don't, then they're not getting the opportunity to grow. Mm -hmm. And people are most excited in an opportunity where they have the opportunity to grow and learn and gain from you, gain from your experience. They're not that excited about seeing you show off all the time. They might be at first. Man, I have a cool new boss. He or she knows that all kinds of stuff. It's amazing to watch. You know. But after a while, they're like, man, I want to be important. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I'm just, you know, I'm just tired of watching this arrogant show off. So I, I had to go from being a do-everything boss to a do-nothing boss. Right. I, I, I come in and do the things that I haven't had the chance to teach anybody else to do yet. Or I don't think it's appropriate to. But I really am trying to like everything I'm looking at. I'm trying to figure out, is there any way I can offload this in somebody else? I, I really want to get down to the point where and I, I mean this kind of tongue in cheek, but right. I really want to get down to the point where I'm coming in and doing pretty much nothing. And I'm like <laughs> the old man in Are You Being Served? Have you ever seen the old British comedy where they wheel him in and he'd almost fall off of this like furniture dolly they'd hold him up on and he'd say, You're all doing very well with his arms waving around and they'd put him back on the furniture dolly and roll him out. That would be his monthly visit. Who's that guy, right? <laughs> right. Right. He runs the place, you know. That that's kind of the ideal in my head is I gotta get to that point. If I've empowered my team enough, then I should be able to just come in as a figurehead. And I don't know that I'm ever going to get there because, you know, there, there's smarter people than me that can figure out how to accomplish that. But keeping that goal in mind has taught me to stop being a do-everything boss and focus more on being a do-nothing and, and there's a fun line there because you said it is tongue-in-cheek, right? It's not yeah. like you don't want to do anything. You, you're there to want mentor. Yeah. You have the experience. Yeah. You have the knowledge of the company, the industry that you're in and all that. So you're there to help everyone else. But you don't want to be that, you know, like you said, everyone has to come to you and all of a sudden, you know, you're gone and the whole company crumbles. Yeah. Like, and here's, here's another one. Never respond to an email when you're mad. Right? That, was, that was a bad habit. And I'll give a second, you know, angle of it. Um, never send an email to a group of people when your message is really intended for one of them. Yeah. 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 And I've done, I've, I haven't done that just yet, but... It's one of those things I've heard plenty of times where, you, ah, you, you know, you get, a, you get a vendor who sends you a bill you're upset with, Yeah. right? The three paragraph email at midnight is actually not going to help you get a better price and better term relationship with that guy tomorrow. Right. Uh, you get an employee who sends you an email letting you know they dropped the ball on something. The angry tirade that's sent out to the whole group about a new policy. So I'm admitting I've done some really bad stuff in this category, <laughs> but the angry tirade sent out to the whole group was a new policy. You know, you will all wear ties tomorrow because I didn't like the way that guy looked at a customer meeting yesterday. You may not even mention the guy, but everybody knows everybody what it knows, is. Yeah. And everybody feels like, why are we being punished for yeah. him? But, you know, the decisions that you make when you're frustrated, they, sometimes they're warranted, but you should go get the person and sit down with them because that face-to-face -face thing it calms you down. Mm -hmm. it, it helps you focus more on how do I get this person to not repeat this sin right. that offended our customer or a vendor or another employee. Uh, whereas the angry email tends to focus on excoriating the person, and and yeah, that's that's it. And people tend to f to remember how you made them feel. If you mm -hmm. made them feel embarrassed, you know, in front of their peers and all that stuff, it's like even that, after detail after the details, right? Yeah. It, it, that's something that somebody just is not going to forget. Yeah, that's yeah. actually I I heard a quote from Maya Angelou on that where she said, "People don't remember what you say; they remember how you make them feel." That's right? Exactly right. And hung on to that. Yeah, that, that's that's really that's a gold nugget there, man. Uh, 
And and the way you will make people feel with your midnight emails when you're angry are always awful. Yeah, <laughs> there there are some exceptions, yeah. right? You know, yeah. But, yeah. So just just don't do it. And I've learned now, like it, you know, if I can't count to twenty and get calmed down, then I shouldn't even send the email now. Just schedule a meeting with a person. That's good. Uh, that's that's just a rule for me. Very good. So real quick, let's talk about um, very very quickly your volunteer experience here, because. Yeah. Um, originally, we wanted to have you on the Tech Frederick meetup because you were the former president, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you've done a lot with Tech Frederick. Let's go a little bit about that. You yeah. know, how do you feel about that organization there? Well, uh, man, Tech Frederick is awesome. It's got a an ethos, uh, a, a character, kind of an identity right now that is um, about serving the community. It's not self-serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've got a great group of folks on the board and on the advisory board who – really spend their time when they're meeting trying to figure out how can we help the community grow? How can we empower the entrepreneurs in the community? How can we get more people into jobs in this field who don't have jobs in this field today but want them? And and I think that's really a wonderful thing that I'm very proud to have been a part of. The energy that Nick brings to the game, the risks that he took getting the Earn Grant program out of the ground uh, are huge. And Scott's just been such a voice of reason uh, to take a guy like me who gets all passionate about an idea and, and Nick who will, you know, pour that energy in and just, you know, Scott's kind of the guy who's like, well, let's think about that for a little bit. And I think, I think the, the connection between the three of us has really grown. Uh, but, but, you know, to your question, you know, kind of how, how has that impacted me and, and what do I think about all that? I remember a lot of people asking me to serve on boards for a long time, and I said multiple times, you know, I, I, I'm not successful yet. I don't have the time for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say that I robbed myself um, because when I began, and it wasn't when I was successful. It was just a number of years ago. I kind of got arm twisted into serving down at the rescue mission with a team from my church, and it was transformative for me because I thought I was going down there to help them. And uh, what I ended up discovering is while I really did have something to offer them, because I myself am a guy who is kind of a turnaround story. I was a runaway. I, I jumped out the window at 15 with a knapsack and traveled the country for nine months and scared my parents to death, uh, sending them postcards from all over the place wow. and no idea where I was, right? <laughs> um, and, and really was a pretty bad guy making some pretty bad decisions and, and have really had kind of a transformative journey myself. Uh, you know, really my relationship with Christ has had a lot to do with that. But I had something to offer these guys because they looked at me and said, this is a guy who's running a, a, a good-sized business. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he's got some elements to his life story. It sounds like where we are, maybe, maybe I could be where he is one day. And so that was really – that dynamic was pretty powerful. But what was interesting is that I was volunteering with them 2009 to 2012, this time that I was coming to the realization that part of the problems I was having in business were me. Mm-hmm. And I had some really deep conversations with guys who said, can I get some of your time? And they wanted to tell me about their crisis. And I'd give them example of exa- after example of what I was going through to say, you know, we're not different, right? Right. We both have troubles. It's just how we're going to process them. That I had some of these guys give me some pretty extraordinary advice because I had allowed them to get close enough to the real me, the ugly me, the mess, mm-hmm. uh, that they could see in and call bull. And so they didn't even have business qualifications. Some of these guys couldn't even hold a job, right? But they, but they were giving me insightful advice that made me begin to realize that I needed to change. So I've gained more from trying to serve others than I've ever been able to give. And by the time I got to this Tech Frederick thing, well, I had more experience on it. I'd been with more boards and other things. And I think I was one of the advocates. I don't want to take any more credit than that. Uh, for us really having an external focus. If we focus not on trying to be a great organization, but 
serve a great community, that something different would come out of it. And it has. I feel like we've got the respect of the community. A lot of people are watching us. A lot of neat things have happened. But the same thing has happened here. I have gained so much more mm-hmm. by orders of magnitude than I've been able to give by building relationships with people in the tech community. I've gone to lunch with people who've wanted to talk about Tech Frederick, but I've built a friendship where I've now got one more person that I can go and say, hey, can I run this wild idea by you? Because right. you seem to, you know, I've done, I started that out with Nick and Scott. I've, I've pinged both of them at sometimes. I took not, uh, Nick out. Because he had an executive assistant when I was going to hire my first executive assistant and said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to screw this up. Tell me what to avoid. Mm -hmm. Um, Those relationships have been built because I was out trying to serve. And so my advice to every entrepreneur is if you're already smart enough and courageous enough to start a business, don't wait until it's successful to involve yourself in the community and figure out how you can serve. Because in serving, I promise you'll be served more You'll gain more, you'll grow more than you could by waiting until someday when you perceive that you've succeeded. You may not get to that success without the benefit of that human interaction that you get in service. Very good, yeah. Yeah, and Ted Frederick is amazing. You know, that, that's how I met you, actually, yes. Paul, right? At, yeah. at the game. So that's awesome. Well, let's uh, wrap this up but with one more question. Sure. You know, and you've been amazing with all these stories. And I'm oh, sure we you. could sit here for, what, another hour or two talking. Absolutely fascinating <laughs> conversation. Yep. So, uh, if you could, t- if you, have you bought anything recently of less than a hundred bucks that may have changed your life, or at least better your life, you know, recently? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so uh, an embarrassing one. I'll give you a couple. Uh, an embarrassing one, and I carry it all the time, much to the chagrin of my wife, is a twenty dollar buck pocket knife. Right. Nice. I pull the thing out all the time. My kids, my wife, my employees laugh. I, do, I, you know, I don't carry this into meetings in a place where people can see normally, but I can't tell you how many times somebody's like, I can't get this package open. I feel like, you know, the, the, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly music plays. Woo. Oh, got it. Got it. <laughs> you know? uh, how many things I've had to open. It's been my little pocket screwdriver. It's, it's made me, but it hasn't really changed my life. That's, that's more the tongue in cheek one. Mm-hmm. Uh, under a hundred dollars. Most improved your life. Not, not change your life, you know, per se. I'm going to have to stick with the buck knife. I think that was a good one. I was just about to say that, yeah. yeah, It was a prime candidate. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it really, yeah, it really was. So, I mean, I, you know, look, there's lots of answers. I, I, I think the thing, the single thing that I purchased that most improved my life was uh, an engagement ring. There you go. Short of that is just toys, man toys. Man toys, right? <laughs> yep. Well, Vaughn, I so appreciate you coming on and talking to us about all your, you know, your experience, yeah. um, Tech Frederick, your companies, and just all the like little knowledge nuggets that you just dropped here. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, yeah. listen, I, I appreciate you guys having me in. I hope it turns out to be valuable to somebody. It's funny. To me, I've lived the story and it feels like... Uh, uh, you know, all the stuff in Rocky before the win. I'm still trying to get to the win. I'm pretty hard on myself, but uh, I, I, yeah, I do appreciate the opportunity and I hope it turns out to be useful. Thank you, Vaughn. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, so, thanks. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah. Until next time. Yeah.